continue our time in worship this morning as we have done in our series, Life in the Spirit. Each week we're saying these words together from Galatians 5. I know it's two times this morning I'm having you say something out loud, but uh, this is good stuff. It's God's Word. Amen. And uh, part of the reason that we're doing this each week is to open our hearts to what Paul is saying. I think in really in many ways this passage that we're studying over these last couple of weeks and several more weeks still ahead, I think it's really a prayer. Uh, This is who we want to be. And so let's say these words together this morning before our sermon. Next slide. There we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You can have a seat. Thank you, guys. As you're finding your seat, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be together here in just a few minutes this morning. Uh, Two things that I want to mention that I did not mention in the welcome, and I didn't mention them on purpose because I wanted... Uh, more of us to be in the room and be able to have a few minutes. Um, After class this morning, uh, I want to invite you to stick around after class. Uh, Abby Roberts, is is she in here or is she gone to children's? She's gone to children's worship, but let's give Abby a hand. Anyway, Abby is going to be baptized after class this morning. The second thing I want to mention to you is in the bulletin, but I I really want to highlight it. Um, On November the 7th from 2 to 4 p.m., it's two weeks away, uh, we are having our Surviving the Holidays Grief Share event. This is a special event. Our Grief Share ministry meets every Wednesday night, uh, but the holidays can be a particularly difficult time for many who are living in grief, and so uh, this event is kind of a separate thing. Uh, Even if you're not attending the Wednesday night thing, but you want to come to this, you can. Uh, You can bring somebody, encourage somebody to come with you. Uh, I know a few weeks ago, uh, Kyle and Vicki Milner moved away, and, and Hollis and Leanna Baldwin have continued running that ministry, leading that ministry uh, but I know Vicky is actually going to come back and speak at that event as well. And so just mark your calendars for that and be aware of that. I wanted to highlight those two things uh, before our sermon, but I want to also pray before we jump into God's Word together. So let's do that now. Father, it's been a great morning, and we're thankful for uh, the, the space we've been able to share, to have our hearts reminded about your goodness and your love for us to be reminded of the good Father that you are, that you're perfect in all your ways, and that we as your children, who we are, is loved by you. And this morning I pray that, that, that our hearts will, will take that word and will receive it, and it will not just be something that we sing, but it will be something that we believe. Because I know that there are many of us in this room who do not yet believe that we are loved by you. And so this morning, will you make that plain and true to us as we open your word together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've loved, I've always loved the story of the two brothers. I've loved it so, I love it so much, I actually might have told it before and I can't remember. I tried to find record as I keep record of all my sermons of this story. So if I've told it before and you're like, yeah, I don't know how you could have forgotten that, forgive me, but I'm going to tell you the story again. Story of two brothers. These, These two brothers were wealthy And they were also very wicked. And they lived in the same small town. And well, one of them dies. 
And the brother that was living goes to the pastor at a church in town and he says, I want you to do my brother's funeral. And I'm prepared to give your church $1 million if you agree to do it. But here's the catch, the brother said. You have to tell all the people in attendance that my brother was a saint. And so the pastor faces a moral dilemma. The church needs the money, but he doesn't want to compromise his integrity and lie. And so the day of the funeral comes, and the room is packed with people, everybody wondering what the preacher is going to say. And so he stands up at the podium, and the casket is there in front of him. And he points to the casket, and he says, Now, everyone knows that the man in front of me was a crooked, mean, cruel, immoral, dishonest, ungodly man. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. And I tell that story today because we are talking about goodness and the many ways that that story really is about goodness, I think, and I I hope to show you how I believe that in the next few minutes. So goodness is the sixth fruit of the Spirit that is listed in Galatians chapter 5, and it's right after kindness. You may have noticed when we read it just a moment ago together. And I think this is intentional, that kindness and goodness are listed right after one another because they do have a lot in common. But at the same time, goodness has its own significance. It has its own twist. And I want to explain what 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 I mean by that by looking at a story that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 20. This is what it says, beginning in Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning... He went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and then about three in the afternoon and did the exact same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers that were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, naturally they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the owner of the vineyard answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus says that there was a man who owned a vineyard. And he hired some people to work in it. And some worked all day long. And still others are hired at various points throughout the workday. 
but they're all paid the same exact amount. What I want you to picture when you picture this story is that these people are they're day laborers, right? They're getting paid cash for the work that they do. Can you just can you imagine the scene? Can you picture the scene? People have worked all day, some of them, some only worked one hour, and the day comes to an end, and they're walking off the job, and they're counting their, their money. And you hear one worker say, wow, I got paid for a full day, and I only worked one hour of the day. And you, having been at work since the vineyard, the work day started the early in the morning at that vineyard, you say, wait a second, you got paid how much? And sure enough, you count your money, and it's the same as this person who showed up at the end of the day. And so now you're angry. Now you're frustrated. You, this isn't fair. It doesn't feel fair. And you want answers. I worked all day. And so in a moment of frustration, you turn around and you walk back. You're going to have a word with the owner of this vineyard. And so you arrive and you say, what's going on? Why didn't I get more than those who worked less? And it's this point in the story right here that we learn about goodness. This is, again, what the owner of the vineyard says. He says, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's that word generous that I want you to pay attention to in the story. Because in the Bible, generosity is often associated with goodness. And here in Matthew chapter 20, the word generous is the same word that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5 when he includes goodness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so as I imagine it, the owner of the vineyard could have said, are you envious because I am good? Or Paul could have said, the fruit of the Spirit is generosity. And it would be easy to look at this story and and say that the owner is too generous, too good. Surely, he can't just be running around behaving like this, right? Paying everybody the same regardless of how long they work. That's just bad business, some of us would say. But the point of the story, the point of the story is not to teach us a lesson about business or economics, at least not human business or human economics. It might be about kingdom business and kingdom economics, but it's a story about grace ultimately. It's a story about the sheer goodness of God. Jesus says at the beginning of the story, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a, owner who, a person who owns a vineyard. So he's, he's telling us, right, that this is God. This is who he, God is. What makes the landowner good is that he paid a denarius to those who were told at the beginning that they would get paid whatever is right. And he paid a denarius to those who were told nothing about what they would pay, be paid at the end of the day. He could have paid them only a fraction of what others received, those who worked at the end of the day. He could have done what seemed fair in the worker's eyes. But instead, notice that the owner chose to be good. He chose to be generous toward their needs. And again, Jesus tells us this story to tell us that this is what God and God's kingdom are like. God is like the owner of a vineyard that pays his employees, not based on whether they earned it, but based on his desire, even when they did not earn it. This, church, is what makes God good. Amen? God provides provides for you what you need, 
not based on whether or not you earned it. Not based on merit. But based on God's desire to be good to you. The good that comes to us is a result of God's goodness and being a good, good father. And it's the same goodness that comes from the father that is constantly seen in Jesus. While he is on earth, when time after time he responds to people, he encounters with generosity, with goodness, and with grace toward each and every one of them. So it's not surprising, if we know this about God and we know this to be true about what we see in Jesus, that when Paul goes to make a list of things that he expects to see growing in each of our lives who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would include goodness. Because ultimately in this world, we are to be like Jesus, treating people based upon, not based upon what they deserve, but what they need. And that's really the idea that I want to communicate this morning, that I think goodness is treating people not based on what they deserve, but what they need. Goodness is treating people not based on what they deserve, but what they need. Sometimes, if you think about the way that I'm saying that, sometimes we might think of this as being generous towards someone, right? They've hurt you, and they deserve to be hurt in return. They've wronged you, and they deserve to be wronged. They've spoken falsely about you, and they deserve to have the same done to them. Maybe it isn't even that extreme. Maybe it's just an attitude that someone had towards you, an air that they put off to you. They spoke to you the wrong way, and it irritated you. And you think that they deserve for you to get the last word and really let them have it. Or maybe you ignore them. You get back to them by ignoring them, right? But what if instead of responding in the same way, we do the unexpected and we respond to their need? What do I mean by need? Goodness is treating people based on what they need. What do I mean by that? What they need, what people in your life and my life need, whether they realize it or not, is love and grace and mercy. What they need is kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And they're wondering, will anyone give it to them? And it turns out these are the exact same things that you and I need. Love and grace and kindness. Responding to someone's need, this is what it means. It means looking past their behavior and into their heart. Because behavior that we receive from other people, we think that's the thing. But usually it's, it's something else. It's the thing we see, but it's not actually the thing that's going on in their heart. So responding to someone's need looks, looks past their behavior and it looks at their heart. This is what the owner of the vineyard did to these workers. What he saw was people who needed to provide for their family. And regardless of how long they worked, he paid them based upon what they actually needed, which was to provide for their family. And that's the thing that's so remarkable about the story. So the, the owner sees that, and he responds in kind, because that's what goodness does. Ultimately, goodness is, is a heart thing. Goodness comes from inside. And what we show with our words and through our actions is like fruit. So it's appropriate that Paul uses that same image, right? The fruit is the evidence of what's going on inside of us. 
Paul isn't the only one to talk about this, though. Here's, here how, here's how Jesus says it in Luke chapter 6. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So knowing that passage, I want you to hear me say again, responding to someone's need means looking past their behavior and into their heart. And in this illustration that Jesus gives, we are the tree. And Jesus says, what we say and do reveals what is inside of us. And this is hard. This is hard. But I want you to think about it for a minute. Like when, when you say about someone, they, they are a good person, what are you saying? Right, you're, you're saying that they are the kind of people for whom that when, when you see them, what you see is what you get. Right? That's another way to talk about what Jesus just said in Luke 6. Their words and their behavior on the outside match what you believe is, is going on on the inside. When they do good, it's not just some kind of act. It's not just for show or for credit or attention. More often than not, when, when we talk about someone being good, you're, you're talking about something that they did. It's an act. It's an action. But really, the thing that you experience is actually an expression of the heart, what's going on on the inside of that person. They don't react when they have every right to react. They don't speak harshly when they certainly could speak harshly. They have this ability to look past behavior of others and into their heart. And as a result, they treat people better than they deserve to be treated. Their tree is good, so their fruit is good. And, and it feels impossible. As I was thinking about this idea, it feels impossible. How can we do this? How can we be good? And the answer is, we can't. This is the reason that I want to spend our time focused in worship and call us into worship this morning. These fruits are not manufactured, as I've said in previous weeks. They are received. They are not achieved. And they are received as we walk with Jesus every single day. They are produced by the Spirit. They're called fruits of the Spirit for a reason, not fruits of you. This doesn't mean that we just sit by and do nothing at the same time, though. It doesn't mean that we have no role to play. The thing we can do is place ourselves in a position to help our tree be properly nourished, to be watered, to be fed. And, and I want to I just say that I believe there are a lot of ways that we could think about this, but I believe that this is why worship is so important. It's not just something that we do every single week, but that we, when we do this every single week, we do it for a reason. There, there's, there's value in getting up and being here and all the work that it takes. And I know all the work that it takes to get here every single Sunday, but I believe this is why, church, it's so important. Because what we are doing, what we have the opportunity to do every week when we gather with other people is to acknowledge our need. Think about it. And then what you receive in worship, hopefully, 
as we are here, as we worship and gather, is a strong reminder of the love that God has for you. What you need is the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the kindness of God. And what you hopefully receive as you come in to worship is all of those things. In worship, we meet Jesus and we realize, again, if you've been following him for a long time, or maybe for the first time if you've never realized it, you realize in worship that God is always going to treat us not based on what we deserve, but what we need. In worship, we look. what we're doing is we're looking to the source of goodness, which is not us. This is why I had you turn to the people around you this morning at the beginning of our time together and tell them and remind them that they don't have it all together. Because sometimes in our sort of American culture where we think we've accomplished all of these things, we need to be reminded that we are broken and that we don't have it all together. And that it is okay to stop pretending that when we come in here that we have it all together because we don't. And you know that I don't, and I know that you don't, but we pretend like we do. And what we're doing in worship is we're coming to the source of goodness, which is not us, so that we might be able to, in turn, extend, extend that to others in our own lives. In worship, we realize again or for the first time, that God really is a good, good Father. Worship calls us together for the purpose of sending us out. Our purpose is always, always to go and share about what we've tasted and seen. To share about what we've seen and heard. To go and do good in the world around us. And and the Bible has a lot to say about this, about doing good. I want to just read a few examples, just kind of run quickly through a few examples with the last couple of minutes of time we have this morning together. Here are a few places where in in Scripture it talks about doing good. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, Paul says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In Galatians 6, 9 and 10, He says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In Colossians 1, verse 10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. And finally, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. We are people that are called together to go out and to impact our world. And we're not saved by our good works. We're saved by God's grace and God's goodness and mercy. But what we understand is that because of this, we are committed to do good like our Father has done to us, treating people based on their need and not based on what we think they might deserve. And this can look like a thousand different things. And I'll I'll just say, you know, when we think about what does it look like to do good today, my encouragement to you would be the one that you will do, the good thing that you will do is the best one. Whatever it is. 
Whatever small thing or big thing that you see that is good and right, that treats people based upon their need and not based on what they deserve, whichever one you'll do is the right one. Because we, want to th- we think about doing a lot of things a lot of times, right? And as Paul just clearly said in those four verses, I could, could have read 25 more, where it's very clear that our understanding of God's goodness leads us to do good in the world around us. And so whichever one you'll do is the best one. And my prayer today is that we will rest in the goodness of God, that we'll receive the good news that our good, good Father always treats us based upon our need and not based on what we might deserve. And may we respond in the same way to those in our path today and in the week ahead, behaving toward others like Jesus has behaved toward us. Let's pray. God, we pray that we will be an extension of your goodness in the world around us today and this week. We come humbled this morning, God, reminded of of your treatment of us, your care of us, that you love us and you forgive us and you've shown mercy and grace and kindness to us time after time again. We're thankful for stories like the one we read in Matthew 20 that remind us so powerfully about how your kingdom The economic policies of your kingdom are so different than the way that we typically think. And we have been the beneficiaries and recipients of those gracious policies. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful that you are a good, good father. And we pray for courage to do the next right thing, good thing, to those who come into our lives today and in the days to come. May you produce in us this kind of spirit that we will be like you, that our trees will produce fruit, that reveal to the world around us that we are anchored deeply in you. We pray in his powerful name, Jesus' powerful name, and the church said this morning, amen. I invite you to stand this morning. We're going to sing one more song and then have our shepherd's prayer. Uh, This is just a song that will remind us that God is able to do what we've talked about today. If you have prayer needs, you can text those in uh, and let us know how we can pray for you. I'm grateful that you're here this morning. Let's sing this song together.